0: Yeah. So welcome, Curtis. Uh, for everybody tuning in, Curtis is a PhD candidate and assistant football coach at the University of Alberta. Uh, he played hockey and soccer growing up and uh, he was, when he was in- introduced to football, uh, he played full time and played for St. Francis Xavier F- University football team during his undergrad and started coaching at the University of Alberta when he moved for his master's. He's also worked with the Edmonton Canadian Football League in mental skills and sports science. And his research interests, which we'll talk about today, uh, focus around mental health and coaching, knowledge translation, so making research accessible to those who need to use it. And his projects looked at uh, psychosocial aspects of professional sport, uh, specifically exploring mental health in the CFL and mental skills development among NHL players, both of which uh, we're going to get into a little bit today. So again, thanks so much, Curtis, for taking the time and, and coming on thanks for having me it's been a long time coming yeah it took a little bit to organize but uh yeah no i'm glad we found a time that works so do you want to start by just telling us a little bit about yourself yeah um so
1: as it said uh i grew up playing hockey and soccer um soccer was just like a summer thing to stay active never took it super seriously so hockey i would say as a kid was my main sport focus Probably would have done it year round if I could, but uh, growing up in rural Eastern Ontario, uh, there was not ice in in the summers, so I had to do something. And then, yeah, I my high school, when I was in grade eight, uh, high school being nine to 12 in Ontario, in grade eight, they announced that they were going to have a high school football team for the first time. Um, so they did uh, a little like spring mini camp to introduce kids to football that year, which I went out for and... I that was for me that, you know, you just kind of it just kind of clicked that that was the sport that I loved. That was what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, I started taking football seriously, ended up getting the opportunity to play for the X-Men out at St. Francis Xavier in Nova Scotia. And then that was while I <clears throat> excuse me was doing an undergrad in kin um, And I became really interested in how we can use university sport to kind of help develop skills and competencies in university athletes so that drew me to the University of Alberta um, for a master's degree and then when I started coaching with the Bears here um, I also fell in love with the research and so the opportunity to coach at the highest level of amateur football um, while also getting to do research I was really passionate about just made sense so uh, I stayed for my PhD and yeah there's the uh, longer version of the short about me.
0: When, uh, when you started football, what sort of drew you to that? You know, you had mentioned they did the camp or whatever, and sort of introduced it, but what, what was it about football that said, you know, this is my sport. Cause I know like I play rugby. So I, I, you know, reflecting on when I was introduced to rugby, like I liked the physicality of it, having to run around or chase after the guys playing soccer wasn't as never as good at that. Uh, so the physicality is something that really spoke to me. So I'm just wondering what your experience was with football.
1: Basically that. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, the the chance, like, you know, athletically, I didn't really come into my own until puberty. So like, as a, you know, as a minor hockey player, like Timbeth, Novice, Adam, I guess my first year of Peewee even, I was okay. But like, I was, a, you know, like a A or B house league player, like I never played on a rep team or anything like that, like a, a competitive team. So you know, just on like smaller regional, like county leagues kind of stuff. Um, And I really liked it. But then, yeah, around, I guess it was my grade eight, when I was in grade seven, grade eight, then I started like, to mature physically a little bit. And I started like, you know, getting like I was physically dominant. But at that point, especially in again, growing up in rural Ontario, like it was a little too late. Um, to start making the competitive teams. Like new kids weren't making the competitive hockey teams anymore. It was the same roster kind of year over year. And, you know, that was like pretty apparent even as a kid. So I just kind of like had the opportunity to play football and I was able to, you know, no one had played it. It was new at our school. So I was really able to um, shine just because I was starting to like physically mature. And I loved, um, I just loved how aggressive it was, Um, which I get like hockey, I would say is less aggressive. Soccer, I would say is much less aggressive or like differently aggressive, I guess, not to disparage the other sports. But yeah, it just presented some opportunities that I didn't have in other sports where I could like use my skills and my abilities in different ways. And then, you know, the size of the team was really cool because it brought so many, like the social dynamics of it were really neat um, because I made friends with kids that like We were just in totally different social circles. You know, you had your like the kids that played on the competitive hockey teams and the kids that didn't play hockey. And then your kids that played on the house teams, like again, rural Ontario growing up, that was kind of how we segregated. But then with football, it was like, you're all on the same team. So now you're hanging out with all these people that maybe you don't know as well and you get to know them really well. So that part of it was really big too. But yeah, that like the first thing was definitely just how physical it was. And that was just fun.
0: Nice. Now you mentioned you played in university and kind of continued to work within that field as well. What position did you play? and, And, you know, when you transitioned to university, was that something you knew like this university has a football team? I would like to play for that when deciding on a university or? I was,
1: um, a student athlete. Like I had really good grades coming out of high school. Like I had more academic opportunities than I had football opportunities, but I, um, for the the varsity sports at the university level, like I was recruited to a couple different schools and f- I was fortunate in that um, a lot of good academic schools were interested in me because it was kind of, you know, I, I knew I wanted to do kinesiology or human kinetics. So I wasn't looking at schools that didn't have that program, um, right. whether or not football. But then I also wasn't really looking at the schools that did have kinesiology that didn't want me to play football. You know, I was kind of committed to, I was going to find, a situation that presented the best of both worlds for me. So yeah, somewhere in between the student-focused athlete and the athlete-focused student. But yeah, really happy with it. Um, it was a lot of fun, like a super cool experience, a great opportunity. And then uh, obviously I liked it enough um, and had enough ideas about what I liked and what I would you know, want to do on my own as a coach that I got involved uh, as soon as I got the opportunity to as a coach at that level.
0: Right. When you... So it, it's apparent that from a very early age, you had that sort of blend of your academic and athletic interests. When did you really start to get in the research side of things? You know, you'd played some football and had some ideas about, you know, maybe life after university, but what, you know, how, what did that look like? How did that develop?
1: That's a really good question. Um, it's maybe one of my favorite, um, if I can do it, anyone can do it stories. So I was um, I had gone to Saint FX to do my bachelor of science in human kinetics with a minor in health science, which was effectively a pre med focused minor. So it was um, the requirements of the minor were all of like the recommended courses to do your MCAT. So I took you know a bunch of biologies. I took intro chem, organic chem, biochem. Um, I took a couple physics courses, and then I just kind of didn't feel that pursuing traditional medicine, I guess, conventional medicine was really an authentic way for me to help people in the way that I felt was best. And around the same time, I started to really look critically at university sport and look at, you know, when you're getting recruited, everyone kind of tells you the same things. Everyone tells you like, come be a university athlete here, we'll help you out academically, we'll help you develop all these great you know, those psychosocial skills, these life skills, like we'll, we'll help you develop into a leader, will help you develop time management. And for some kids, that was true. You know, some kids got those leadership opportunities and learned from them. Some kids who maybe um, wouldn't have been successful in post-secondary without the support offered to them by their athletic program uh, were successful. They got their degree. You know, they got a job that they just wouldn't have had without that opportunity for university sport but there were also some kids I saw come through. And, you know, this isn't like a, an anti-X-Men football thing or anything. Um, this is, you know, across the country. This was high school teammates, all that stuff, where they were told the exact same things I was and they, you know, didn't finish school or they got cut after their first year after being told, that, you know, like you're the future guy for the team. So it's kind of like what's going on here? Because like for, you know, for a whole bunch of people, this is going really well. But for another whole bunch of people, like we're just not getting what we should. So um, I was in a qualitative research methods undergrad course in my third year that I took on a whim because quantitative methods didn't fit with my schedule. Um, And I was kind of like, well, I only need one research methods and it doesn't matter which one. But this other course I really want to take. So um, I'll just take the qualitative methods. and. As our final project for that course, we had to write like a um, a mini research proposal. And so I ended up writing on um, effectively life skills development through university sport was my research proposal. And I kept citing, you know, the same couple people over and over again in that paper who had done a bunch of stuff on like life skills development through sport. And so, yeah, it was um the next fall, I was back in school. I was kind of like, okay, like I got eight more months. And then I, You know, like I got to have something to do. Um, So I just started emailing the people uh, that I had been citing. Totally out of the blue. Like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to email them. Um, I didn't know what to say. I had no research experience. Like I didn't do an undergraduate research project. Um, So my emails were basically like, hi, uh, I'm a student athlete at St. FX. I wrote a class paper and I cited you a bunch. I'm really interested in what you do. Do you have room for a master's student? Some people I just didn't hear from uh, which I like at this stage in my career I can you know I understand why that would happen. Um, a couple of people were like, I don't do that research anymore and then two people got back to me and were really interested. and so I ended up uh, with an offer to come out here to the U of a and yeah been I don't wanna say smooth sailing ever since it's been pretty good ever since. so who uh, who is it that you're working with there? Uh, I'm working with Nick Holt, so Nick is he well, he's a qualitative methods expert. um, And I guess his main area of research over the course of his career, um, he's done a lot of like coping and emotions, but also a lot of um, research on parenting in youth sport and kind of the roles of parents helping kids get have positive experiences. Um, So from a methods standpoint, it's been a great fit. And then in terms of research, because his expertise is kind of so broad like really any area of youth sport he's fairly knowledgeable in that was actually how i ended up getting the nhl project was just someone knew nick and was like well nick would be a good guy to talk to about this project Um, Right, right and so yeah it um it just worked out really well it's been a really good fit i've had a great experience learning from him and working with him um so yeah i can't say i have no idea why of Everyone that I emailed, he was one of the like two to take a chance um, or willing to take that chance. But uh, yeah, definitely grateful that uh, kind of stuck his neck out there, Uh, took a bit of a gamble.
0: Yeah. So you did your master's and now you're into your PhD and you're in your fourth year. So pretty, pretty far along in that. And uh, so when you when you went and did your master's, was that on that proposal, like that research sort of topic that you you initially wrote about? Uh, I ended up actually
1: going a different direction with the master's. So what I was kind of stuck on um, was actually this issue of leadership. And I got really interested in the coach's role um, in facilitating life skills development. But, you know, I don't want to say that's been done to death because obviously, like, we don't know everything. But there's a a researcher at uh, the University of Ottawa, Martin Camaray, who does that kind of work. And he does a great job of it. And it's really interesting stuff. And I was kind of like, well, you know, I'm not working with Martin. So what can I do that kind of leverages um, Nick's expertise? And then I went a totally different direction again. Um, and I ended up looking at leadership in coaches. And that just came up. I was coaching at the time. You know, I would had some great coaches when I was growing up. Um, I'd had some coaches that I didn't necessarily appreciate as much. And so I was... And, you know, coaches do play a huge role in kids experience through sport and the skills they're able to pick up and develop. So I was like, it kind of gets me at the same question. Like it's still kind of got scratched that itch a little bit, if you will, about like, how do we create better sport experiences for young people? But no, um, my doctoral research is definitely much closer to that original than uh, my master's.
0: And uh, yeah, I, I find your, your story so interesting because that's you know, very similar to my own experience why I got into research around concussion injury it was the same same sort of thing where, you know, I had I've had a couple of concussions from rugby and I've had friends who have had a couple of concussions from, and sort of comparing and contrasting our experiences and outcomes and you know, sort of the fallout from that, there can be very negative consequences. And so similarly it was well, why does my teammate X have this sort of reaction to it, where I'm able to recover relatively well and uh, and return to normal functioning, right? Mm. And so whether that was you know end, ending the rugby career or even ending their academic studies in in certain instances, right? Now looking at I guess your PhD stuff uh, and sort of the main focus of what we'll talk uh, talk about today, um, do you want to just give a quick sort of overview about the broad project? And then maybe we can talk about the like a specific article um, that you've recently published.
1: Uh, sure. So the overall project is um, mental health promotion through university support. Um, so instead of looking at mental health as like whether or not you have a diagnosable mental illness, um, but actually looking at mental health as your ability to function positively, your data. Um, so. There's a specific academic model I use, um, flourishing. Uh, Corey Keys was the guy who came up with it. And that's not super important. The thing I liked about the model that he used was that what he proposed and what he's found is that mental health is related to but separate from mental illness. So your ability to function positively in life, if we picture it on a scale it's not mental illness on one end and like mental health on the other end it's two separate scales so it's the presence or absence of mental illness and the presence or absence of mental health so for me that was really interesting because i think and kind of what other researchers have argued is that like mental illness prevention is not mental health promotion so strategies to reduce depression and anxiety aren't necessarily the same as the strategies that we'd want to use to promote positive function. So yeah, that that project really fit with what I wanted to look at in university sport. Kind of how can we use it to help um, coaches and athletes uh, develop their mental health? How can we make, especially in the Canadian context, because that's obvious near and dear to me. But what can we do in that context to make it a better place for people to be, or to make it kind of the um, the preeminent organization for mental health? So. Yeah. In terms of recent papers, um, my f- second study, I'm getting ready to submit right now. Um, the first study I just submitted revisions on. Uh, and then the third study is ongoing. And I got to get that done one of these days so I can get out of here.
0: Yeah. The, the never ending process. Yeah, exactly. So with, uh, you know, recently you'd published an article in the International Journal of Sport and Exercise Psychology, um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that one, you'd mentioned it before. That was the the NHL study that I don't want to say fell into your lap, but kind of came about through through some connections and stuff. So, uh, well, you might not want to say fell into my lap, but I absolutely will say that that's how okay. It.
1: Yeah. So, with that, tax, which as you explained, it's that um, industry academic research partnership. There's a, a local hockey school in Edmonton. Who it's run by two guys, Dustin Cohen and uh, Sean Connaughton. and both of them were high-level players. Like uh, Dustin played in the NHL for a bit, played in the AHL, played over in Europe, uh, and the other guy played. Uh, Sean played NCAA for Brown, I think. But like you know, did one hockey, good hockey program. Yeah, um, and they were so they run this hockey school, and they were like. You know, anyone can teach the technical and tactics. So with both of them, they were like, you know, with our careers, like the mental things becoming bigger, people are starting to talk about it. Um, And they were kind of like, what's the mental thing look like for NHL players? And how can we like, you know, especially running like a hockey school? Like, how can we teach kids the mental side of the game? And like, what do they need to know? Right. Um, Instead of just trying to pull something off the shelf and be like, oh yeah, like we're going to use this, I don't know, random websites, sports psych model. But we, you know, they don't know anything about it. They don't know if it's evidence-based at all, or if it's an opinion, piece, all that stuff. Right, right. So they contacted uh, Sean Fraser, who is the second author on that paper, who's the like Dean of Graduate Studies at Athabasca University. And I'm not quite sure how they knew Sean. But they reached out to Sean and Sean and Nick had worked together. So then Sean was like, well, I don't really have students right now as of a faculty, but like, let me reach out to this other guy. And then I was sitting in just sitting at my desk one day on campus in pre-COVID times back when that was a thing you could do. Yeah. What was um, that like? <laughs> yeah. Wild times. Um, and my supervisor came down and he was just like, hey, Curtis, you want to do this project? I just got asked. And I was like. Uh, sure, sounds pretty cool. So yeah, I ended up getting to interview um, six NHL players, current or former, and yeah, asked them about like the the mental side of the game. So we kind of broke the paper down as like what did they develop and when did they develop it that they think is important for their NHL or that they think helped them get.
0: And so you'd mentioned there was both former and current players. Uh, what was the just out of curiosity? What was sort of the uh, the tenure? Of the players, I I don't know how much information you can give, and and by tenure I mean, were they are these guys who you know were in the NHL have been in the NHL for a long time, or is it kind of like a blend of you you know recently drafted or
1: it was I think the average career of the guy we ended up talking to of the like out of that group was like an eight year like a six or eight year NHL career okay and then like pro careers ranging from. I think between like eight and 17 years of pro hockey total. Uh Um, And that was part of the intent was like, we wanted to talk to guys who had like mostly made it, if you will. So we did talk to one guy who had only played a year and he had played a number of years pro after that, obviously um, elsewhere. But yeah, like five of them had played, I think at least six years in the NHL. Cause we kind of, you know, we wanted to see like, I guess there's risks if you talk to a rush because they might not last. Right. Um, like guys on entry-level deals get, yeah, it's just the reality of pro sport. You just chew through them because it's cheap to chew your entry. Mm-hmm. So there's a risk in talking to those guys that if, you know, if we talk to 10 entry-level guys, but then like none of them stick around. It's like how useful in terms of understanding what it takes to like have a successful NHL crew, how useful is talking to 10 guys,
0: you know, you just can't predict So right. yeah, we wanted to talk to guys who have been around. That makes sense. And so when uh, you'd mentioned it, this was sort of broken up into different stages. What do you mean by that? So we asked them about their experiences in minor hockey,
1: uh, their experiences in junior hockey, and then their experiences in pro hockey, because those are kind of, for our non-hockey listeners, those are kind of the best ways to like break down a hockey career over a lifespan is like. You got your minor hockey, which starts as young as like four. And that goes till I think you can play like 17 years old, 16 or 17 years old. And then you've got junior hockey, which is 16 to 21, 22, depending. Um, And then you can enter pro in North America at 18. um, But you can also enter pro in other countries. at young. Um, That kind of made the most sense for us to break it down. Just because there's kind of like the um, the expectations and the team structure, like during minor hockey, you usually live at home. You know, at the junior hockey stage, sometimes you'll get drafted to a team in a different city. Um, so you've got to go away. You've got to like live with another family and you're treated much closer to a professional athlete. And then obviously the pro level is pro. Like that's, you know, now you're making a living um, doing that. So yeah, that kind of made the most sense
0: for us as or to us when we were trying to break down the different skills and like how and we when And so what sort of skills came up? Like what what what'd you find? Well I think the coolest thing we found was that in minor hockey, these guys
1: and again, these are guys who like made it. Right. You know, if you will. Like they're guys who got past their entry level, which is, you know, few and far between. And that's just among like the few who actually get drafted. So The thing I think I found most interesting was in minor hockey, they didn't really talk about learning like the cool performance skills that we think of when we think of sports. You know, they weren't talking about like, oh, my, you know, when I was 10 years old, I was visualizing before games and I was self talk in practice. At those ages, like, (laughs) they were just talking about how much fun they had. You know, they were like, they were talking about um, going to tournaments and like hanging out with their friends in the hotels and how their parents never got on them about stats. Their parents got on them about like, well, are you being a good teammate? Like, are you supporting? Are you passing the puck? Are you helping out the kids on your team who aren't as good? You know, are you being polite? Like that kind of, um, right? And, you know, similar from the coaches. Like the coaches were really positive. The coaches were really supportive. So yeah, to me, that was really cool because I was kind of like, you know, working with Nick, doing a lot of stuff in like positive youth development through sport. That's what we try and push. Is youth sport's a great avenue to develop psychosocial competencies. And so it was super cool to hear these pro guys say that like that was really important for them to learn. And then they talked about how like even to stay at the NHL, level, you know, one of the guys, I don't know if this made it into the paper, but someone, one of them said something along the lines of like, unless you're a generational talent, you have to be a good guy. If you want to stick around, unless you're like, you know, to give an example of someone who is not a
0: problem, but could probably be a problem if he wanted to be Conor McDavid. Like, right. Just so good. Know. It doesn't matter. Any of the interpersonal aspects. Yeah. Like the team's
1: willing to put up with you if you're Conor McDavid. Now it just so happens. I'm pretty sure he's actually a guy. Um, or at least that's what we see in the media about him. Right. Um, But I thought that was super interesting that these guys were like, yeah, all those things I learned in minor hockey, how to get along with diverse group of people, like, you know, how do I be a good teammate? How do I be respectful? How do I work hard? Like, those are the things that it takes to stay in the league. So yeah, just like, personally, that was really cool. It was really kind of a a compelling argument to me for like, why, um, why that stuff's so important. And, you know, I think that transfers to other domains. Like, I don't think that's the hockey thing. I think that's like... um, you know, even the world we're in with like research and stuff, there are definitely some great researchers out there who are maybe not like super cool, great people that I want to hang out with, but I respect the work they do. Whereas like, there are absolutely some researchers out there who do good work, you know, like they're at a high level, the academic equivalent of being in the NHL, if you want to look at it that way. Right. Um, but frig are they fun to hang? with? You know, like I look forward to seeing them at conferences. I look forward to like reading their work, regardless of where it's published, because it might not be like super exciting if you want to look at it that way. Um, but I know they're going to have worked hard. I know they're going to have done a good job and I'm going to be interested in what they have to do. So I was kind of like, Oh, you know, those like those base level. Well, I think we called them psychological characteristics, but just kind of, yeah, like being a good person, being kind to other people. Um, that NHL players thought that that carried them in their career was super cool.
0: Yeah, those sort of translational skills, those life skills that you had mentioned, you know, you would mentioned your early interest was what can sport teach you about life skills on the assumption that, you know, maybe you wouldn't be playing professional sport. You know, how can, how can, and same for me, like how can I as an athlete pull the skills I've learned to be a good teammate into the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's on research collaborations or you know, like teaching or whatever that looks like beyond that, beyond, I guess, the specific psychological characteristics, was there anything that that really stood out to you? Maybe like a big quote or. Yeah, actually, um, yeah. there was one it's I think it's our opener
1: in the uh, pro phase and it's about visualization and I don't have it up in front of me, so I'll
0: paraphrase. I do have the article up if you want me to. Oh, yeah, um, that would be great. So it's a like a long block quote. Uh, and it's in the pro pro phase. Yeah. Professional hockey development, refinement. Is it the superhero one? That's exactly the one. I yes. love it. <laughs> All right. So this, this athlete, uh, this, this hockey player had a specific strategy that he would use later in his career, uh, when he didn't feel particularly ready for games. And, and he shared that and I'm quoting here. I always felt like I had like that I was a little bit like a superhero and now bear with me. I don't think I'm a superhero. But so I was, it was just me, the hockey player, and there's some nights that was enough, but there's some nights that I didn't have it. And in my mind, I had like a closet where I'd go and I'd like go in there and pull out like a superhero costume and I would put on my superhero costume. So I'd put it on and then I was like, yeah, you know, this gives me a little bit more juice. So you're kind of treating yourself where you're like this better this better version of me. And I don't need to do that every day. I don't need my superhero costume every day. But there's some nights where I have to put it on and just be like, yeah, I got this.
1: Yeah. So I I was sitting there in the interview and that was um, I had actually stopped recording because I'd done, you know, done my big wrap up question. And then I always finish my interviews with like, is there anything we talked about you want to talk more about or something I didn't ask about important um, you bring up right now? And he was like, no, I think that's good. Um, and so we were just chatting. It was a super cool, like, obviously you don't get, well, I shouldn't say obviously, I don't get the opportunity to just kind of chat with NHL players. So, you know, as a a former high-level athlete and a current high-level coach, I was just kind of picking his brain a bit. And he was like, oh, you might want to turn this back on. I do have some. Uh, and then he busts that as like something that he's shared with other, um, like up-and-coming young athletes about like, you know, what's it take to make it and kind of some of the the, the mental side of the game that was important. For me. Right. Uh, and yeah, he said that. And I just remember sitting there and I was like, I really don't care about the rest of this paper. Like this quote's making it, you know? Like if I have to write a paper around getting that included, that's what I'm going to do. I, yeah, it's like, you could tease it apart, I think. I think there's actually some like really, from a sports site science perspective, there's some really neat stuff in there, um, about like the, I don't need it every night. I only need it some nights and kind of like the layers of, cause he, you know, he had a pregame routine that he did every night, regardless of whether or not he was wearing his mental superhero. But yeah, that one to me was really just so cool, like Mm -hmm. so different. And to get, um, to get a pro athlete, like being that candid about like, you know what, this might sound dumb, but like, here you're doing research on what it takes to make it like here's what it took for me to make um and yeah so
0: that was just I just love that quote that'll probably be one of my favorite quotes I ever put in a journal and it's funny you say that because as soon as you kind of chuckled when I asked if you had a favorite quote and said yes this is the exact quote that I had primed to ask you about later because it's my favorite quote in the paper yeah it's just it's just a good quote. And, you know, like I break it down um, and look at that in terms of, you know, motivation and how you kind of that sort of intrinsic motivation and getting yourself going. Um, But then, yeah, you're right in your description where you talk about it as like a visualization technique. And that's something, you know, I didn't even pick up on when I first read it until I had read the following statement from you and the the other authors kind of breaking that part down. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's so, you know, I don't, I'm reflecting on my own time as a rugby player. And I don't know if I've ever put a super suit on, but going, going out to games, sometimes it's, you you just have those, whether you want to call it rituals or things where you just need that extra, extra bit of motivation or that extra step when it's like, I'm not feeling this, but, but I have to get to the point where I am.
1: Yeah. And so this one, right? Like, obviously the superhero analogy is super cool. And it really resonated with me because, like, you know, I never played the pro level. So I always had um, a level. There was always a level ahead of me. right? There was always a next right, step. Right, right. Early in high school, um, it was the provincial team. And then later in high school, it was, like, university. And then, obviously, in university, the pros. And I always remember when I would do um, – mostly my workouts was when I needed, like, the little bit of extra. Specifically, like, doing sprints, doing kind of speed agility stuff. Um, you know, like, I loved lifting weights um sprints were always like it was just tough to motivate myself to do um so I'd always picture myself chasing like whatever jersey you know like at the end of the the 40 yard line you know in grade 9 and grade 10 it was like there's that team Ontario jersey and then when I was too old when team Ontario was done um then it was like okay well now it's like the university the university level it was like I'm chasing the pro jersey. um so it was kind of neat because I was like you do like, I'd picture myself wearing it, but it was also like there, you know, at the line. Um, So it's kind of like you imagine, or for me, it was like, well, if I'm able to do this, if I put this work in, like someday, that'll be me wearing that like next jersey. But again, I'd never done it at a pro level. So now I'm kind of like, would I have like, would that technique have worked? You know, like there's not really an Olympic team for football, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so what's if. If I had played pro, like what would have the next step have been? Would I have been able to get there? Would I have figured it out like this guy did? So yeah, personally, it
0: resonated, but it's also just such a fun quote. And so looking at the implications of a paper like this, where do you see this having the most impact? I think the biggest impact that we would like it to have, the biggest thing would be to
1: me that it sparks a bit of a national conversation around our current long-term athlete development models. Um, and we touch on it in the paper, but currently the way it's outlined, I think Hockey Canada says something like we should be teaching like visualization and self-talk um, and those kind of psychological skills that these guys didn't talk about until they were pros. Um, Hockey Canada says that those are like among the first things we teach it, which it's also a bit of like a cognitive development question to me is it's like, you know, at, at what age are you like, cognitively able to actually do to what age are you is your brain mature enough for that to be useful and are we kind of wasting time like should we really have coaches of you know elite teams of 12 or 10 year olds let's say um teaching visualization or like should that coach just be worried about teaching like leadership and teamwork and those things and then like when they get to junior and their brains are a little bit more developed, you know, they're 16, 17. Now we start teaching like some introductory skills that can help them with uh We talked about at the junior level, they learned confidence and focus, like skills related to confidence. Um, stuff like just, you know, um, how do you mentally reset after you get cut from a team? Like, how do you motivate yourself through that? How do you stay on track once you've been through that? So, yeah, I think it's kind of... It's asking a lot to say we need to change everything based on the results of one paper, especially a paper with a sample of sex. But I do think that it's there's enough there that it merits us like having these discussions and looking, you know, doing bigger studies um, about is that are we doing that because it seems cool and it makes the sport seem credible to people who don't know about mental training. And so they're very happy when their kid is learning visualization because that's what the pros do. Or should we be spending time like developing those life skills um, at the younger ages? And so, yeah, like just uh, getting people to look at it and, you know, maybe we should be developing visualization at young ages. Like maybe that does help performance. So from a performance perspective, it's the thing we should be doing, but these are guys who made it and, you know, this is what they talked about. So to me, it really reinforces the importance, especially working with kids, just being positive, being supportive. You know um, I coach camps here through the university. Um, like kids, football camps and stuff. And um, yeah, one of the biggest changes I've made since my first year coaching, when I was so focused on like, oh, we got to get them developing technically, like I got to teach them all these, I got to turn them into elite little Aaron Donalds. Like, do I really, you know, they're working with me for kind of 16 hours in total over eight weekends, maybe I should just make sure they have fun. Maybe I should make sure they like the sport, and they want to play it. Maybe I should like, teach them about hard work, and you know, how to like, have a growth mindset, right? How to be open to learning from their mistakes. And I, I've liked coaching the kids camps way more since I changed my mindset that way. So yeah, I think nationally, I'd ask for a conversation, it'd be super cool just to get people like thinking critically about this stuff. Um, More research in the area, I think would like help clarify a lot of it. And then personally, like, I'm a firm believer that it is more important to teach the life skills in the early years anyway. I think performance comes with that. I, like if the kid doesn't stick in the sport, they're so to me, you just got to keep in the sport and let them develop at their own pace. If it
0: works out, it works out. Yeah, now that's a that's a topic or conversation that's come up before on the podcast, too. We we, we had an episode a while back um, talking about mindfulness and one of the foundational aspects of that is the idea that you have to be able to attenuate, control your focus, which I don't know if you remember being a first year varsity player. It's pretty darn hard to pay attention to a lot of different things when, you know, this might be the first time you've played in front of a big crowd or it might be the first time where, you know, people care that you play a sport like outside of your your family cheering you on from the sideline or the stresses that come with school that are ever, you know, pressing on your, your mind, right? So being able to tune all that out isn't just something that people can do automatically. And, you know, so then we have these, we had this conversation about how important it is to develop things like, like mindfulness and, and self-reflection, self-awareness, but that it's all founded on that, that self-awareness and that ability to attenuate, which isn't, you know, which needs to come first. In not doing that, you're putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think it's um like with something like mindfulness,
1: you know, I think that's great to like be working on with um, with kids. Again, like I'm not a child development expert. I can, I can't sit here and be like, oh, yes, when your kid turns eight, they should be able to do that. You know, I really have no idea. But I do know having done like mental skills workshops with kids. Trying to teach a kid between the ages of four and like, honestly, up to nine, anything that resembles like a typical mental skill was a huge waste of my time. Um, I think I tried it for two days. And then I was like, they just don't get it. Like their brains just can't grasp motivation, you know? Right. Um, So I just ended up teaching them like, we read um, some kids books like picture books about hockey, about like a kid, um, a minor hockey player. And we learned about like having good manners, working hard and being a good teammate. And that was like, that was, um, over three weeks I was doing that. And, you know, with the older kids, like I was introducing kind of focus and confidence, um, and that kind of stuff and like goal setting, you know, a nice, a basic one that you can teach kids mm-hmm. early, you know, I think is pretty at younger ages I think is attainable like I think they kind of get that um or maybe like I think 10 would have been the youngest kid I taught goal setting to and I would say like a, you know they can grasp the future enough that that makes sense to them but with the little kids it was like the first two days were miserable because they had no idea what was going like miserable for me I don't think they cared but they just couldn't figure out what I was talking about when I was talking about like goal setting and confidence so I went back to the drawing board the night after the my second session and like okay like what well originally it was like all right I need to find some kids books. like we just need something to do to fill my hour a day with them but then I f- went and I like was looking at kids books about hockey and they were all like there was life lessons in them. and so I was kind of like oh well this is great like this makes my job easy so what are the you know I'm gonna pick like three things my three key skills that I'm going to teach these kids. Um, and yeah, it was manners, being a good teammate. And maybe it was just the two. It was just manners and being a good teammate. But like, you know, they get those things because they're right. taught that in school. So like, yeah, I, it was, one, it was easier to engage with them because I was talking about things that they could understand. But so that I, like that made it easier. But seeing the change over three weeks in terms of like these, you know, six-year-olds holding each other accountable if someone's not being nice and being like Connor McDavid wouldn't want you on his team. If you behaved like that, you have to be a good teammate. You're just like, nice. You know, I got, they get, they're getting it. That sounds like a really rewarding experience. It was after I made the change. Uh, yeah. Like the first night I went home and I was like, the older kids were fine. Um, I think the person I worked with, um, had developed like a good plan for the older kids, but neither of us had experience working with like kind of that four to nine range in terms of like mental skills. I got coached kids that old, but I'd never done like mental training or anything with kids that old, um, that young. So yeah, the first night I was like, oh my God, I have to do this for three weeks. And then the second night I was like, I'm not doing this. Like I'm blowing this out different. Otherwise, (laughs) it's not going to be rewarding at all. Right, Um, right. But yeah, it did turn in like it was a really cool experience. And I'm happy I got to um, try something a little different and just see what worked, see what I, you know, what I could do, what was available to me. And like, how would it go? You know, would it work? Would they care? Would they stay in?
0: And yeah, it was pretty good. It was a lot of fun. And now circling back to some of your current research, did you I know this isn't related necessarily to the research paper we were just talking, but indirectly, do you want to share anything about the the progress of that? I think, I yeah, I mentioned um, I just
1: submitted revisions for my first study from my thesis work. Um, And I'm getting the second one ready to submit, hoping hoping by the uh, end of the month. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. And then the third one, my plan for that is like get it done and get instead of getting a journal article of it written, just get like a thesis chapter written and defend it from there, um, and then submit it after I defend, or while I'm waiting to defend. You know, um, however, it works out. So, what's been really neat with that is again, like the the life skills kind of idea um, has come up again. So, for athletes, um, the study that's under review right now for university athletes. Basically, what I found was so I looked at um, mental health over the mental health experiences over the course of a, a university sports season. Um, So I did a preseason interview uh, with athletes um, and then I had them fill out uh, like an online written diary every week uh, for the duration of their season or ask them, I didn't say had them, politely requested that they do that. And then I followed that up with a postseason interview um, where like, you know, I kind of got to ask them questions about the first interview and the diaries and kind of like round out my understanding of what was going on. And You know, there was like from a mental health perspective, there was some unique stuff coming out of there. But as it relates to the life skills, it's basically these athletes I talked to, all of whom had high mental health at the start of the season, basically were able to use life skills in strategic ways that made that that helped them feel mentally healthy, that helped them function positively in life. Like when you define mental health as positive functioning, maybe it shouldn't be surprising that. Life skills are also going to be mental health resources, but that's like an interesting and that will make it into the paper because that's just a whole other rabbit hole. You don't want to open up reviewers, but reflecting on like what they talked about and what it looks like. Yeah. It's just like having well-developed life skills, like time management, um, communication skills, uh, that self-awareness, like knowing you need rest, knowing you need a break. Those things were really important for these like ment- these student athletes with high levels of mental health. So again, to me, it just reinforces like the importance of, you know, are we developing, can we use sport and are we currently used to develop like important skills and competencies in people, or
0: are we kind of missing the boat? So once you sort of finish that, you know, what are you looking for after? I know you do some work with a couple of different sports teams. Um, are you looking to continue, you know, in the sort of sport industry or, or what are you thinking? Where, where do you see this leading for you professionally?
1: That depends. Who's your listener base?
0: <laughs> Mostly athletes, coaches, in and around Ontario, I would guess.
1: Nice. Okay. Well, if there's anyone sports connected- people
0: more so than academic people.
1: Great. So in that case, if there's anyone connected with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, um, <laughs> yeah. No. Um, right now, I'm looking academically. Um, I really like the research, and my my big concern with working in pro sport. Or even government is how much freedom would I have to do the things that I want, not necessarily want to do, but the things that I value, the things that I think are important. Because my second study argues that behaving in ways that when coaches behave in ways that are consistent with or uphold their personal value, they have good mental health. So yeah, pro sport Um, there's pressure to perform. Like I've been in the CFL. I did that for um, two seasons for 2018 and 2019. And it was fun. It was super cool. Like I loved the opportunity. Obviously as a football guy, um, it was really cool to get to say I was in the CFL for two years. And what was your capacity? Uh, I was doing like mental skills and sports science. So the second year I actually had that Mitacs research fellowship. Right, um, right. To um, do that. So it was like I was there doing some mental training stuff for them and like helping in the the sport performance department, performance department. And then I was also doing like a mental health study that was kind of like a personal, like a research interest because there has to be a research product for my tax as well. So like, I loved being there. But again, like people's jobs at that level are dependent on wins and losses. And it can be really hard to convince someone that like putting your athlete's mental health first is going to win you game. You know, there are, and that's not a, again, that's not a knock at the Edmonton football team. That's just pro sport in general. That's the reality that you're in is like, there's pressure to perform. And I don't, you know, there's um, a perception that being too nice um, to your athletes is going to reduce their performance, which, you know, like there has to be a certain level of challenge. And I totally um, agree with that, but you know, I do kind of wonder about being in a pro sport environment, like how much are they going to care about athlete mental health as like
0: a, a you know, a top priority right? right?
1: versus like the performance side. Of it. So,
0: yeah. And it's interesting, even like looking at uh, looking at it from my perspective, from my area of research, which is on injury prevention, you know, we look at stress injury models as being something that is such an important factor in it and so there's there's that mental health aspect but also i wonder if framing it as almost like a a safety point of view you know what i mean like in focusing on this mental health this positive mental health reducing stress also reduces injuries meaning you know more games played more value for the contract like is that what it takes in pro sport to to convince people to make make that kind of change
1: yeah I think that would be part of it. Like, I think at the end of the day, it's a business, right? So you gotta, um, you gotta be able to get people on board with the idea that somehow, whether it's your head coach, uh, you know, if it's your head coach, you gotta get them on board with the idea that like focusing on mental health um, is going to help them win more games. Or if it's the general manager, you gotta kind of get them on board with the idea that like you said, like, you know, mental health is going to save you money on games lost to injury at a league level, you basically got to convince them that happier players are going to put a better product on the field. Um, You know, like mentally healthier players, less injuries, better um, production, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's just a lot. It's a lot to change. Um, You know, it's been great seeing guys in the NBA, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love, um, open up about their struggles with mental illness, which I think is super important. You know, like I from a research perspective, like as an academic interested in mental health, I'm super grateful that they spoke up and said anything, because it does kind of get across the importance to people, I think, when it comes from them, as opposed to, you know, me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we had Fred Van Vliet speak at at U of T last year, and uh, on mental health and some of his stuff around that. And that was that was really cool. So I know, um, like the Raptors are, are very adamant sort of that side of things and promoting that as like lifestyle super. Yeah I think they've in
1: the past two years actually hired um, I think a clinician like I think a clinical psychologist um, to work with the teams like to work with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment and kind of help them in that regard and you know like I think MLSE, Again, if they're listening, all right, world-class <laughs> organization. But no, they do kind of seem to be at the forefront of that as far as professional organizations go. The Philadelphia 76ers, like I can't remember the name of that ownership group, but they're currently hiring like a mental performance director um, or something along those lines. I, I can't remember the title, but mental health is part of the job description, which again is like, I think it's great that it's happening, you know, with the way I look at mental health, part of me does worry I shouldn't say worry. Worry is not the right. I wonder, I guess, if the focus at that level is on promoting mental health or reducing mental illness. Um, Right. Because like, again, the guys have talked about their struggles with mental illness. So obviously stuff needs to be done there in terms of prevention. But, you know, there's a whole bunch of guys in pro sport, whether it's, you know, Leafs, Raptors, who don't have a mental illness, who might still not be mentally healthy who might not be at their um and you know I don't just mean their best in terms of performance but obviously like that's part of it right if you're not like mentally healthy my guess would be that it would be harder to perform at an elite level now i could be wrong um that's just a guess but i think it would be i guess easier to perform at your peak when you're mentally healthy
0: right so
1: yeah it's catching on there's a couple organizations but the jobs are few and far between right in pro sport so it's just kind of a weird area right now. Like people admit it's important, but the money's only really being spent on it at the top level. Um, And even then it's not every team it's, you know, a handful of teams in the big four North American leagues are investing their money into this right now. And we're still not at a point where like, as far as I'm aware, there is no like provincial mental health in sport resource officer that kind of consults with the provincial organs. And there's no like, Town of Perth, Ontario, or town of Smith Falls, Ontario, there's a recreation person. There's like a sport and rep. There isn't like a town of Perth or town of Smith Falls sport and recreation mental health director,
0: you know? They're just, yeah. And that's, you know, that's kind of reflective of, you know, mental health resources in our country as a whole. And not actually, not even just our country and most of the world, actually talking about you know professional sports that do use like mental mental health or, or even like mental skills positions you know the one that always comes to my mind is um, the all blacks being a rugby guy and them being one of the most successful professional sport teams uh, if not the yeah. they you know they do work with uh, gilbert anoka who's their mental skills coach or was the mental skills coach and is now i believe a manager for the team and you know I don't. I don't know if there's as much of a proven proof of concept as that, um, where many of their f- uh, current and former players speak very positively about the inclusion of that, leading to their success as an organization. So um, I see it coming around. But with anything, change takes time. And
1: yeah, it's um, it's an interesting time, regardless of the jobs you're looking for, to be looking for work right now. And I don't want to say um like mental health research, I would say historically um positive psychology in general has been kind of looked at like differently. You know, like psychology has largely been a deficit reduction approach um to understand the people. So strength-based approaches like looking at mental health as positive functioning instead of as, you know, the absent mental illness. You know, like it, it is a, a newer idea in Western science. Um, Eastern philosophy has been well ahead on that. Um, but in terms of popularizing it in our context, it's like only been more recently that it's caught on. And yeah, I guess it's um, are we going to lose out on generating like, I guess, more universal research mm-hmm. um, in favor of like doing pandemics or, um, you know, are the pandemic things are we looking at recovery from the pandemic? Are we taking a strength-based approach to looking at the pandemic? Or are we just kind of understanding what was bad about it? Um, right, right. Because you know, I, I think there's more like, okay, things are bad. Things are, you know, maybe it's tough on kids in sport. I don't know. Um, but it's like, if that's where it stops, kind of like where mental health research has been, Right. I mean, like, oh, okay, let's stop the mental illness. Let's stop the bad stuff from happening in sports during COVID. It's like, okay, but what about like, can we build capacity for good things? You know, is there room Mm. to build those life skills, build those mental health resources? Um, You know, is this, uh, can we, because sport is being done differently right now, can we capitalize on concussion? Because we've got a total, like people aren't playing in games, right? So keeping someone out of competition for two months after a concussion, instead of like our week-long return to play protocol, if, you know, you check all your boxes successfully, Um, Just kind of like those opportunities. Is that like, are we looking for those? And I don't know, Um, we could be. Obviously, there's people much smarter than us out there. But yeah, it's, it's something I'm interested to see with the field moving forward with jobs with all of it is like, are we going to do things in sport in response to this, like long term? Are we going to kind of capitalize on this as an opportunity to maybe do things different when we get back? Um, both in research and in practice or like are we just going to kind of look at okay this is why lockdown was bad but then not maybe look critically at our regular sports stuff and how we do those same things or how we might you know create those same problems
0: yeah and you know it makes a compelling argument for exploring some of these life skills that you mentioned right like resiliency and as you said like building capacity for some of those skills so it's it's yeah it's a good question we'll start to wrap it up you know we've talked a little bit about what you are looking for like after after the phd and stuff i was wondering if you had any sort of overarching concluding thought um in terms of my own stuff i think i'm pretty good definitely talked a lot yeah i guess uh that that about wraps it up so thanks thanks a lot for your time thanks for letting me ramble thank you for tuning in to the athletic perspective podcast Check us out online via our website, athleticperspective.com. Again, that's athleticperspective, all one word, dot com. Or on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, whatever you prefer. We have some great guests, some great content lined up, so stay tuned for more.